It's a beautiful summer day. I'm at the park with my family. There's a baseball game taking place not too far ahead of us. The teams are split, nine aside. It's co-ed and it's competitive. But there's one problem. This was last summer. This summer, things are much different in the world of recreational sports. Whether you play soccer or softball, many leagues are looking for ways to get their teams back on the field safely, while others are canceling their seasons altogether. Recreational sports are that outlet many of us rely on every summer. Some of you go for the beers, others for the conversation, some for the good workout, and then there's me. I go for the competition. I try and go beast mode. I'm that guy. Over the last two weeks, we've seen a number of professional and amateur athletes test positive for COVID-19 as sports leagues gear up to return to play. In other coronavirus news, Clemson University says 23 of its football players have now tested positive for the virus since the athletes returned to campus this month. Phillies have shut down their facilities in Clearwater, Florida after several players and staff members tested positive for COVID-19. Many of these leagues are adopting a bubble environment with intense screening and testing measures. But what about your rec league? How safe is it for those leagues to return in a non-bubble scenario? Now, most provinces and states have permitted recreational leagues to open, but many of these leagues play their games on municipality-operated facilities that require permits. They also share much of the equipment depending on the sport, and depending on the day, Crowd control might be a challenge. Those are just a few of the pieces of concern in this complicated rec league puzzle. Laura Couch is the vice president of the Not-So-Amazon Softball League. Since 1983, this not-for-profit recreational league has provided an inclusive space for LGBTQ women, queer allied women, and all members of the trans community. They were also recognized as one of the best summer sports leagues in Toronto last year. Laura joins us to discuss why their league decided to cancel their 2020 season on this episode of the Sports on Pause podcast. And we now bring into the conversation Laura Couch, who is the current league VP for the Not-So-Amazon Softball League. And Laura, the league was founded in 1983, so there is some history, but take us back to kind of the precipice of it. Why was it started and what has the league hoped to accomplish uh, throughout its lifetime? The league was started, I think, primarily, and again, it's, you know, a lot of it is uh, is urban legend, right? But it was started to really have a safe space for, um, you know, queer people um, and uh, and trans folks, right? Um, and just for us to have a safe space to play ball, build a sense of community, and just have some fun while we're at it. It's been around since 1983. Um, so it's been, this year we've been our 37th uh, year. Um, and it's great. You know, we play every Sunday. The sense of community for people is is absolutely huge. And uh, we hear that, you know, year after year. You know, people go through trying times in their life and, and they really do find that uh, that the league is there for them. But in terms of the league itself, so we play on, on Sundays at uh, at Riverdale. There's generally six games per per weekend. But we do a lot of social events as well. You know, we're pretty active in in the community. You know, this weekend would have been the Trans March and the Dyke March and, and Pride. And we, we try and take part in all of those. That's honestly, I think the main thing about the league is just to have a safe space for us and, uh, and a sense of community and have fun while we're at it. Laura, I want to get a sense of just, uh, and again, I realize that you weren't there at the beginning, but 
What do you know about the growth of the league from 1983 to now? And my sense would be uh, as these issues become sort of more commonplace for people to discuss mm-hmm. and for people to be open, logic would state that the, the numbers in the league uh, would grow from the 80s. Do you have a sense of that kind of trajectory? Absolutely, yeah. Um, so I was lucky enough to get to visit the um, the Lesbian and Gay Archives over on Church. And uh, there's a lot of information about the league throughout the years. Um, so it definitely has grown exponentially. And, you know, that's something that we're very conscious of. And we want a good mix of, of older players, you know, new, newer players, and try and just have that place for everybody. So to the best of my knowledge and based on you know, what I've seen in the archives, it, it has grown a lot. It really has grown a lot. Like currently, I think we have about 200 members. So like a general guideline would be 16 players per team. So about 200, give or take. So I play in a rep basketball league, or I guess I should say I, I did play in one that was actually playing longer than the NBA season was playing, which seemed just very odd and unnecessary. Wow. But here we were. But when when everything was really shut down, I thought to myself, well, these rec leagues are going to be literally the last thing mm-hmm. that come back. When during this pandemic did you really get a sense that your league operations would be in jeopardy? I don't remember the exact time, but it, we, we announced it just after um, Tory said that he was closing down the Diamonds, Annie Parks and, and uh, Annie Rec Sports. Today, the city of Toronto is taking further action to stop the spread of the COVID-19 virus. Effective today... All facilities within the city's more than 1,500 parks are closed to the public to help prevent the spread of the COVID-19 virus. This includes playgrounds, outdoor fitness equipment, sports courts, leash-free zones, picnic shelters, sports fields, skateboard parks, and other parks amenities. Staff will begin posting signs immediately about the closures in parks across the city so that families, seniors, and all those who enjoy our parks and our other outdoor facilities understand that it is not safe for them to gather there right now. We were watching it on a day-to-day, like the the committee, the collective, ourselves. Um, we were having, I would say, video calls every day, maybe every second day. And we were just really keeping keeping an eye on it because, again, for a league that's been around so long, right? And, you know, we all... We work in the off season, like the collective members, we're always planning, always looking to grow, always looking to, to make it better, right? That we can hand it off next year uh, in, in better shape than it was. Um, so we were very, very conscious of, of not wanting to cancel. But at the same time, we had the social responsibility to, to be mindful, right? So I, I feel like it was perhaps maybe April, March or April. But it was right after Tory had, you know, pretty much made the call for us. We we kind of didn't have uh, have any say on it, and it was tough, right? It was we we definitely didn't want to be, uh, I guess, or have it on our shoulders that we were the ones um, in almost forty years that had to make that call, and it was it was a very very difficult thing to do. But the response from our from our league was just incredible. You know, we put out a blast on social media, on, on email, every every single medium and platform that we use. And uh, we had an overwhelming response from the entire league that uh, that we we're doing the right thing, right? Because you got to remember, a lot of people, they may have compromised immune systems, they may have elderly parents themselves, and uh, they were very grateful. And I guess maybe empathetic as to how difficult of a, of a decision it was. Right. And, and that was nice. It was, it was really, it was heartwarming to, 
to know that people are on the same page as us. But yeah, it was definitely a tough, a tough call. You said that it was tough, and I kind of want to stay right there and unpack that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Why was it tough? Why specifically for this league and really what it represents, was it difficult to not have that sense of community? Well, it's not necessary that we didn't have the sense of community, but, you know, people enjoy their Sunday afternoons, right? And and we still do that. We still have that sense of community. We're still very, very active on, on our social media. One of the committee members runs a, uh, a quiz every Friday, music trivia, and it's open. It's wide open, not just to, not to league members, um, but we're really trying to, I guess, pivot and adapt to, to the world we live in right now and do a lot of, of video interactions, right? And just stay engaged with their, with their community. But I think on a personal level, for me, why it was tough, um, you know, I came, I, I moved here, I knew nobody, never had played softball in my life. It's not something that we have back in Ireland. Baseball is, you know, not something that we that we really have. And the friends that I've met through this league has been amazing. You know, so if you couple that along with knowing how important uh, this league is to to people in the community, I think the burden of that on a personal level for me made it tough to to make that call, right? Because it's been a consistent for people who play in the league for almost forty years. You know, it's something that they they know that during the summer, every Sunday this is what they'll be doing, right? So I, I think on a, and again, I'm speaking purely for, for myself. That's why I found it tough, you know? But at the same time, we had to, we had to be responsible, right? Um, and just kind of do the right thing. It was on our shoulders to do the right thing. So I think, I think the mixture of everything kind of made it, uh, made it tough. Uh, you know, one of the things that, um, when I knew you were coming on, I was thinking about, because I really, um, I don't know the answer to this, but I'd be sort of really interested in how it works is sponsorship. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, because obviously, you know, when you have that many people as exists in your league, yeah. um, you know, these things cost money. You got to pay for umpires. You got to make sure if your uniforms and equipment and things like that, yep. you maybe even cost money to rent the fields. But the, the reality is this. Yeah. So there you go. So this costs money. Yeah. How have you found sponsorships to be and how have you gone about approaching businesses who want to be part of the league? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we primarily, we have one, I guess, main sponsor and we have had uh, this one main sponsor for quite a while. Um, and it's one of the major businesses on Church Street. So this particular owner himself, he uh, he sponsors a lot of other queer leagues. So, you know, basketball and and so on and so forth. And he's he's super into it. We we have our banquet every uh, every year, so our end of season banquet at uh, one of his venues as well. And kind of part of the thank you that we that we do with him, you know, because of you know business is, is tough for everybody uh, nowadays. And I think the give and take between us and uh, and this business is after every uh, every Sunday we go to his venue and uh, you know we hold a lot of our a lot of our events there, but every Sunday we'll go and we'll show up after games and have brunch. We, you know, we're pretty selective on on who we do reach out to because we also want to support other queer businesses, right? It's again, it goes back to that that sense of community, and it's a great partnership, and it's been ongoing for for quite a few years. So it kind of works out for for everybody. We have his businesses on our shirt, so again, that's kind of marketing for him, and uh, we do a lot of social media drive for him as well. So we'll tag the the venue and. Uh, you know, it's, it works out for both. Well, feel free to give uh, him and them, your your partners, some love here. I wasn't sure if I was allowed to say it. Um, yeah, O'Grady's. 
uh, O'Grady's on church. He's, uh, Jimmy has been fantastic. Jimmy really does, um, you know, he gets, he gets behind us. He will do anything that we ask if we, you know, sometimes with, there are some crazy asks <clears throat> in terms of clearing a back patio for this. Uh, we did a social last summer and, you know, he cleared his, his regulars from the back patio, which it's kind of like gold dust, right? If you're to get a seat on, on a Saturday in the back patio, it's a, it's a pretty big deal. And uh, yeah, that's just the, the very, very strong uh, partnership we have with him that uh, he cleared it off and we had that agreement and we jam-packed his, uh, his pub. It's funny because that is a seminal spot, a meeting place for is, right? uh, the community in the village, right? It's it's one of the known you know places that you go for that fellowship and that friendship and and for that fun. To be to be quite honest, Absolutely. for people who aren't local to the city, listening to this podcast, that is mm-hmm. uh, a longstanding uh, known place for for people to enjoy themselves in the community. You know, I actually did an interesting uh, interview with Amanda Busis there at that location because it means so much to the community about being proud and, and what that means, you know, in this very weird year that we have in 2020 yeah. um, with not as many events in person. What is the future for the league? What would 2021 look like? You made the tough decision, which I haven't seen other rec leagues make. How can you, as we all get used to whatever this new normal is going to be, how can you return to play? Do you need a vaccine first? Do you know necessarily what you're going to need in order to feel safe and confident to bring back the league in the same way? Mm -hmm. And that's something that we're monitoring. Um, Luckily, one of our um, commission members is in the health profession. So it's something that we're monitoring very, very closely. But in conjunction with that, we're in open dialogue with the city of Toronto and they have been fantastic in terms of communicating with us. So I think for 2021, you know, we have great plans, right? I, I'm going to keep that under my hat. We have we have great plans <laughs> in terms of the committee. Uh, I don't want to speak too much to that right now. But I think on a realistic level, we, we really have to wait and see what, um, what the health professionals tell us, you know, both them and, and the city. It would make sense to have to have a vaccine, but we're still a little bit away from from that happening, right? So it's something that we are monitoring. And again, you know, the collective ourselves, we still meet once every week, once every two weeks, and uh, we're actively keeping an eye on it. But I'm hopeful. <laughs> I'm really hopeful. I think on a on a personal level, I would be pretty pretty bummed out if we didn't have a season next year. But again, it's it's something that is changing on on a daily basis, right? No question. Well, we will be monitoring and uh, cheering from afar. If you want to monitor, uh, get on social media at NotSoAmazon on Twitter, on Instagram, and use the hashtag NotSoAmazon. You got it. There will be messages in terms of you know the return to the play for the league, but they're really, in the interim, have been really great messages of solidarity and strength and unity. Um, so thank you for that, and thank you for this conversation, Laura. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you guys so, so much. All right, Donovan, it's time for our last word segment where um, we offer uh, things we've read, or usually, quite frankly, things uh, our producer, Amal Adelich, or Dan Lormer, other producer slash researcher, has read that they forward on to us. And 
It's just stuff that we think you will find interesting given the nexus of COVID-19 in sports. So sometimes just basically on COVID-19. So I have two quick ones here. First up, check out uh, A Piece in Wired by Sarah Harrison. When doctors and patients talk about death over Zoom during the COVID-19 pandemic and really sort of uh, gets into uh, how physicians might approach just talking to their patients uh, using the tools, the technological tools of 2020. So that's Wired, who always does a very good job. Sarah Harrison, when doctors and patients talk about death over Zoom. The other one from the New York Times, lessons on coronavirus testing from the adult film industry and a piece in the New York Times about how the adult film industry could be a model for others to use when building confidence. Perhaps not an industry that you might think about when it comes to um, COVID-19, but uh, an important story by the New York Times and one worth checking out. What about you, Donovan? Never heard of the adult film industry. I'm not really sure what you're referencing there, um, but I will check out that read. So I, as we've talked about off the air, I have been like, for some reason, fighting with trolls online who have conspiracy theories about it seems everything. I don't know why I do it. It's a terrible trait, but here we are. But I found this really short but informative read on Undark Pretty Good by Yu Jung Kim. It is about talking to patients who have conspiracy theories and how physicians might approach said patients. It's really, really smart reporting, and so I think you should check that out. So if you're listening to this when it drops, it dropped on a Monday. So we've got a holiday here in Canada ahead of us. So enjoy the holiday. Enjoy the time with friends and family. Don't be online like I have been guilty of. Go outside, spend time with your friends, but be diligent. Continue to social distance. We're going to continue to do this right here for you, but we're going to take a bit of a break. And so you will see a podcast from us a week from now next Monday but in the interim continue to take care of yourself and others